Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! Hello, friends. Welcome back to the show. I have a really special episode for you, one that is completely near and dear to my heart. The story of this show involves my friend Geraldine Lucas, a woman whom I met in the very early 2000s. This was at the very dawn of the young adult cancer movement before Livestrong came to prowess, before stupid cancer. And I would argue that the young adult cancer community started because of sardonic, sarcastic, dark humor. I feel like we were the first generation to make fun of cancer because we needed a little levity because it was just so damn serious. Geraldine comes from media. She's an acclaimed producer and lives the public relations style life, an extraordinary woman diagnosed with breast cancer. And she wrote a book, a very disruptive book at the time called Why I Wore Lipstick to My Mastectomy. And it was a little sex in the city, a little romp through the hay. And she was one of the first people to just be raw and open about what it was like to not be six or 80 with breast cancer. And we met so many years ago and this wonderful bond was formed. We've been in touch. We, we've never lost touch in all this time. And I finally had the chance to get her on my show. So she joined me here in studio it was so wonderful to see her in person post-pandemic. We had the most authentic conversation. You're going to love it. She's an extraordinary human being, and I'll put links in the description to her book and her life story and everything she's all about. Ladies and gentlemen, the extraordinary Geraldine Lucas. Enjoy the show. All right, listeners, I promise you a drunk advocacy episode, and I'm not here to disappoint you. I'm here with Geraldine Lucas in the studio. Hello, Geraldine. Hello. I'm on my second. You're finishing. You're nursing your first, I noticed. No, you you actually filled me up a little bit, so I'm oh, on one and off. a half. All right, we're doing some bib and tucker tonight. Wait, am I slurring? That's, isn't that drunk advocacy? Oh, it's the best kind there is. It's funny, when I was in chemo, they'd always say, we're going to bring your cocktail in. And I got so excited about my cocktail. And they right. were just mixing the magic potion in the back. And it made me crave alcohol yeah. even more. It's just like they bastardized the word cocktail. Mm. How dare you use the word cocktail? We've reclaimed it tonight. We have completely reclaimed it tonight. Here, a virtual toast on the radio. Here. Cheers. You heard the clink, folks. With a personalized ice cube. 
So you heard in the intro, um, Geraldine has a very, very special place in my heart, in my story, in my history, and in the country's history, for that matter. Especially when you're drunk. Even sorry. more. Just, I don't know. Sorry. <laughs> either way. Either I'm sorry way. I interrupted that. That I just was like getting really anxious hearing all those good things. Okay. Getting all uh, verklempt. Yeah, perhaps? I was thinking I need to call my therapist, but I'm speaking to her tomorrow morning. So, okay, I thank you. Is Let's, it pre-therapy? Yeah, we're pre-therapy, pre-game. But no, go on. <laughs> but go on, please. <laughs> please. The truth be told, I was wandering the earth without a without a, a, a rope or without a tether, without a ladder, without a, a handrail, all through the 90s. Mm-hmm. And I happened upon just this book one day mm-hmm. called Why I Wore Lipstick to My Mastectomy. And like, holy shit. Oh, hang on. Just be careful not to the bikes pick up the table. Oh man, so, I'm drunk. Okay, sorry. Okay. Go no. ahead. And I <laughs> and I, I stumbled upon this book called "Why I Wore Lipstick to My Mastectomy." I'm like, mm. I need to know this human being. She's got this fucked up sense of humor that I I bond with, Thank and you. I'd never met anyone as snarky as that because I'm in the brain cancer <laughs> space with eighty year olds. <laughs> Like they're worried about their their Florida investment <laughs> properties, and I'm like, I'm 25. Oh. And then we met in the most remotest of happenstances. Want to talk about that? Well, first of all, I relate to that story of everyone being older than you because when I was going through my chemo, I was 28, and most of the women in the oncology room in the center where I was getting treated were, I mean, definitely over 50. And my mom would come with me and everyone would think she was the patient and then she would feel so guilty that she didn't have cancer and I did. And I remember one time this woman came up to me and she said, I thought I was having a bad day and then I saw you. How old are you? And my mom said, get away from her. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus Christ. Okay, so that's a diversion So much for tact. Right. But wait, you asked me another really good question. The question was, tell our origin story. Okay, so we met at, this was hilarious. It was called Oncology on Canvas. It was a kickoff event. And for the listeners, Lily Oncology used to have this annual event where they took photos and paintings by cancer patients and created like this art gallery exhibit once a year. Am I saying this right? Correct. Brilliant. And the theory was that creating art was very therapeutic, going through the process. So you were hired to play piano. And I just remember I walk in and Regis Philbin hosted and you were like, you were like, dancing your fingers on the piano and you looked like so dapper and then I stood up and I talked about my nipple do you remember that right your nipple ink 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 surge like how do you replace your nipple with so it was my nipple tattoo and I think I like completely freaked out Regis I think he mentioned it the next day on air but I went I never (laughs) knew that having a mastectomy meant losing a nipple too Well, now they have nipple sparing, but back in the day. And so there were these tattoo specialists and also plastic surgeons who specialized in recreating nipples. And 
my doctor just went off on this rant that she could create a serrat nipple, a pointillistic nipple that true nipples weren't one shade. Like, and wait, that- a Sunday in the park with George nipple? She, all I could tell you is I was so happy I took an art history class because I knew what she was talking about. And Monet Water Lily started seducing me and my mom became my nipple nag. She was at that appointment like, when are you going to get that nipple? It's going to make you feel so complete. But as you know, I did, I decided to forego the nipple tattoo and I got a little heart with wings. Instead, That's on the right. day I was scheduled for my nipple surgery. So you freaked out Regis Philbin on site. He, everyone in the room was kind of coughing, like, just like <laughs> they were like <coughs> choking, like that. I was like, so let me tell you about art and the nipple. And it just completely, it's a good icebreaker. The record scratch moment. That was it's, crazy. It was a good icebreaker. It definitely, it was, yeah. I don't think they knew what they were getting. But that's when I knew I needed to be your best friend. Well, that's when, and I looked over at you and you were like playing the piano and it kind of stopped for a moment. And then you resumed. And <laughs> I was like, who is this guy? And brain cancer. And then, of course, you became the advocate in our world and I've always admired you and I feel so honored to call you a friend. And, and the, the feeling is completely mutual. Thank and you. we had like a, an unexpected second date a couple of months mm-hmm. later at Dana-Farber Institute, which by the way, listeners, was one of the very first clinics that realized yeah. there should be adolescent and young adult standards of care where you're not locked in with older people and you're not right. quite locked in with six-year-olds. And right. you were there for a book signing Right. And I should have played piano again. Right. And I think what you're saying is so powerful because the problem was when I went on all my consults, when you're talking about creating space for young adults and children, and they just didn't have studies that had looked at young breast cancer survivors. So I'll never forget all these doctors were recommending I have a lumpectomy and then my husband, who's a doctor, brought me to a radiologist as a favor off hours. And she looked at me and said, we can't give you a lumpectomy. And I said, why? And she said, we don't have any data. I'm radiating young people. I think I'm going to give you a subsequent cancer if I give you the radiation you need for a lumpectomy. So, so side effects of cure may include cancer. Exactly. And it reminds me, someone was trying to get me into their clinical trial. And one of the, I mean, there were a lot of side effects and I asked him to break it down. And it was like cancer, uh, heart failure. (laughs) It was crazy things, infertility. And my mom said, why should my daughter be in this clinical trial? And he said with a very straight face to benefit womankind. And my daughter said, um, my mom said, that was a Freudian slip. This meeting's over. (laughs) My daughter's going to benefit womankind by doing something else. And here I am speaking to the Matthew Zachary, which I feel like benefits humankind. So this is a privilege. And we need doctors and institutions to get younger people into clinical trials so that we're not subjected to trials that aren't for us. I think it's important 
again, the the purpose of this show, having here beyond just like you're the love of my life, and you're one of the very few people that understand the true origin stories of how we got to today's maybe better problems to have, perhaps. It's that advocacy for the internet was just all random spontaneity. I mean, it's crazy now. I'm so scared of social media, and it could have really benefited me at the time, but... I feel like, so I was diagnosed 28 years ago when I was 28. So it's kind of a magical year. You're in the numerology phase of survivorship. Yeah, I'm like, oh my God, 28, 28. I have to play the lottery or have 28 drinks. I don't know. Well, you're on two and a half, one and a half now. One and a half, one and a half. So I just feel like 28 years ago, let's take the listeners back. How many years ago was your diagnosis? 27. So 96 was me. 95-ish was me. Yeah. So it just, I was scared to tell my employers I had cancer. Who was your employer at the time? ABC News. And it's not Right. Listeners, you come from media. That's your background. Yeah. It wasn't their fault. Like they did nothing to signal that. It's just people didn't, no one saw anyone going through chemo in the workforce or, you know. Just in movies. Yeah. And, I, you know, it's so incredible now. I was telling you I'm invited by corporations to give lectures for the employees. And the whole world has changed thanks to you, Matthew Zachary. You are. And your advocacy. I mean it. I mean, we had to get loud and... I think the whole world's changed. I mean, it's just so interesting. It's very interesting when I meet people who are now going through cancer and it's a more welcoming world. And thank God, you know. I will agree to that. I remember when I exited Stupid Cancer, I, I talked about how we've we've done our job with a huge asterisk mm. and that progress is an ebb tide. In the sense that we solved this particular problem, which revealed the problems underneath. I'll say that. Uh (laughs) Should I recut that? I don't know. (laughs) Advocacy, drug advocacy. Don't worry. We can't say big words right now. When you solve for a major problem, it reveals the problem beneath that you wouldn't have seen unless you solved that problem first. And it's a new set of problems. It's a, but it's a better set of problems because you've already solved the first set of problems. I thought you were going to say the asterisk was all the people who died. The asterisk was that there has to be tragedy for yeah. progress to happen. Oh, that's deep. I agree. This episode brought to you by Sartre. I know. This is so deep. <laughs> I mean, listen to me. I I live every day with survivor's guilt. I mean, I know you do too. And I think every day of the young people who didn't make it. Right. And. I, I came in tonight and I was so worried about my son studying for his SAT. And then I got pissed at myself when I saw you because I was like, it's such a gift that I have a son who's studying for the SAT. Yeah. I get to live. And it's very complicated, I think, sometimes to live after surviving because it's this tightrope of life and then cancer and then cancer and then life. And You ever get that like, well, why do you think you're alive today? I get asked that all the time. But that implies, okay, what's your answer? It implies that I had a choice. Exactly. And I hate that. And I, I, cause 
if anyone had a choice to survive, it's many people we know. Right. And not me. It would be you, but not me. <laughs> no, seriously. So why why are you alive? So here's how I take that question. Yeah. I make meaning out of that question and I say, so what am I doing with the chance that I got to live? Because it's a lottery and I got the chance. And I'm sure you read the stats when you were diagnosed and I read my stats and who knows what column you're going to fall in. Like it's a very scary moment when you think, Am I going to be on this side? Am I going to be on that side? So I like to, even though I have been out of that intense cancer world for 28 years, it gives my life meaning when someone reaches out to me and says, my sister was just diagnosed or a friend was just diagnosed. And I send that person a lipstick or a book or spend an hour talking about what trial they should do or it just, it gives me meaning in a way that I feel privileged. It's, uh, it is a terrible privilege. To, it's, it's, it's a, it's yeah. a burden that we have to understand and acknowledge. Yeah. I always channel my inner, like, Tolkien. There's a great quote from the Lord of the mm. Rings trilogy that we must make the most of the time that's been given to us, mm. regardless of how long that time is going to be. And that the other shoe to drop is just a dogmatic way to think about life. See, but that's such a great quote because I think when we are young, we're just so immortal and we never think about the time running out. And then when it happens, it's such a shock. But isn't invincibility a blessing because you're not aware you have it? Yes, I agree. And I don't know. It's like I think a lot about this idea that Everyday life is a gift. It is. It's a gift to worry about the trivial and the banal. And 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 sometimes I have a very short fuse for those worries. And then sometimes I think this is a privilege. But listen, do I wish I ever had cancer? No. My whole life would have been different. Right. Right. I mean, I've heard it said, it's not a gift I give to someone, but it's a gift I'm glad I had. Well, it's a present sometimes if you can make it such with meaning and with giving back as you've done. But then I always say it's a present you don't want to give to anyone. And then I pause and I say, maybe one or two people. (laughs) You're terrible and I agree. Wait, and then I have to tell you, this is so funny. I'll never forget, I gave the speech at the Oncology Nursing Association and I'm obsessed with oncology nurses. I mean, obsessed. they're God's gift to humanity. They're they're unusual people, and I never would have gone to my chemo if not for my chemo nurse Patty. I mean, I showed up to like hang with her, and because I'm terrible with blood and needles, and I interviewed all these oncology nurses before I gave my speech, and I said, "How do you do it? How do you show up every day?" And they said. Well, this was one nurse in particular. We drank. As we are doing right now. And then she said, a lot. And then she said, but in sincerity, every patient has taught me a lesson. And when I sign books at the Oncology Nursing Society Congress, every single oncology nurse went into it for a reason. It was a mom who died, a dad who had cancer, a friend, a 
it was so powerful. And then the other thing I heard from oncology nurses, which I put in my speech, which I will quote and I love, is shitty people don't get cancer. And then she said, all right, maybe one. Right. But it's true, isn't it? Well, on that note, Ah. let's take a break. Ah! You're like, you're talking too much. It's the No, it's the Bib and Tucker. What are we drinking again? We're drinking Bib and Tucker. Not a sponsor, but Bib and Tucker, my friends, <laughs> is powering this specific, this particular episode with my the love of my life, Geraldine Lucas. We will be right back after whatever the hell ad shows up next. Mwah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch. Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. All right, we're back. I'm on, I'm on three. You're um, on... Brett Rowe. Almost two? Yeah. Almost two. Okay. God, drunk advocacy. This is amazing. I haven't seen you. I mean, I saw you recently, but like yeah. we haven't had like a moment. A moment. This is a like moment. This. And what I do like about my experience is that I'm a life liver. After coming so close to death, I feel like this moment with you, I'm just savoring and I'm, I enjoy life. Like I squeeze the lemon when I can. We met more than 20 years ago. Oh man, that's great. And we're still You here. look exactly the same. Oh, come on. Come on. You You're do too. so handsome. You've always been beautiful. No, I need you know to that? go get my Botox. I'm, okay. I'm going next week. And here's the thing. As a cancer survivor, I do feel a little guilty getting the Botox because all I wanted was wrinkles. I want to grow old and then I'm doing something to erase my wrinkles. That's like a deep <laughs> thought. I, I'm, I'm what do for, you think? I like the dents in the car. They make the car the car. <laughs> but I'm a guy, so we can get away with that shit. It's oh. very different when you're a woman. I just feel like I believe in inner cleavage, which is like my brand. So it's like. Wait, no. 
explain that to okay. the man right here. Inner cleavage from you. is when I had my mastectomy and I took this topless photo for Self Magazine because they wanted to show that a woman could be beautiful after a mastectomy. And I was not convinced, but I did it because I was like, oh my God, I have to say yes. And I'm a fraud. And the woman who took my photo, I thought it could be a tiny little photo and no one would ever see it. And she took life-size Polaroids. And when it was developing, this chapter in my book is called Developing. It was chunks of black and white and gray. And I was calculating how big the scar was going to be. I was terrified. And Wait, she, I, let me ask the question. I'll ask yeah. the man question. Did you have like perfect breasts beforehand and you lost your girls or what was it like? So it was, what was sad, I wasn't sure how I was going to wake up. And thankfully they do simultaneous reconstruction now. So right. I woke up and I didn't feel like allegedly back in the day, they used to make you wake up and just process it and then make you go through reconstruction. That's terrible. So that was mean, not devised by a cancer survivor. So when I saw my photo, I, the first thing I saw were my eyes and it was the first photo I ever felt beautiful in. And it was crazy because it had the largest defect. Mm. And I was like, how do I explain this irony? And I saw myself for the first time. I saw my journey. I saw my courage. And I called it inner cleavage. So inner cleavage is like this beautiful spiritual. And like I can tell who has inner cleavage when I meet them. Like it's it's a thing. I've never heard that before. Is that in your book too? Yeah, I made it up. Okay. Yeah, because, you know, it's easy to have outer cleavage. But inner cleavage takes some cultivation. All right, so I want to ask you this question. <laughs> what percent... <laughs> You ruined my thought process. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Oh, what were you going to ask? I have no idea. Oh God. All right, wait. Oh well, God. Sorry. So you're 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 born of snark. You have this wonderful dark comedy. Wait, but does snark mean like like um like Daria? Right. Oh, you're, I like, love Daria. Like, like a, just a dark yeah. sense of humor. I like that dark sense of humor, but it has to be wrapped in a bow. It is because okay, he, good. tragedy and comedy. Wait, wait, no. Oh man! Tragedy, tra- wait, I'm going to say this wrong. Tragedy, <laughs> <laughs> tragedy plus time equals comedy. That is. A, oh, I never heard that. I think that's either. I always heard there's a thin line between comedy and tragedy. That's. I think Mel Brooks did yeah. that with the producers because yeah, how long after the Holocaust could it be funny with the producers? Right. That was the gist of, I think, his whole point of this. Maybe it was Shakespeare. I have no idea who said it. It's a deep truth it that is a we deep laugh truth. at. Right. 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 We can laugh at cancer now because we're still here. Yeah. But I remember meeting luminaries. I mean, you're a luminary. Think no. about who you were, what you, no. what you stood for. You don't realize oh. Well, who you became because you, know you just were you at the time. Oh, thanks. I the I mean, I've the best compliment I've ever received is that if someone says you made me think I could live again or you made me laugh again when I thought I had no nothing to laugh at or I slept with your book by I didn't want my photo on the book by the way it's very airbrushed and they gave me many cocktails to get to that photo Mm -hmm. and 
I didn't want the photo of me on the book. I was embarrassed. And they said, no, because you're wearing a tight tank and your hair is back. And someone came up to me and said, I slept with that book by my bedside because my hair fell out and I knew yours had fallen out too. So I used to watch Hair Club for Men commercials and cry. And I was like, oh my God, I know what you mean. I know, I know. And I decided I made a bold decision at work. I never wore my wig ever. I was bald. I wanted people to know what was happening to me. And I thought, I'm going to save a life. Someone's going to ask what are you going through? And I'm going to say, you won't believe it. I had no known family history and this happened to me. You know, spread the word. All right. Let's not forget the fact that you had a fucking lifetime television show. How embarrassing. I Most people on lifetime TV movies don't survive their husbands. But I had, <laughs> no, it's like tonight. <laughs> Nanny of death. Yeah. Not a clock. But but um, Lifetime did also incredible advocacy. I got to work for this woman. Her name was Meredith Wagner, and she invented all this incredible advocacy people weren't aware of at Lifetime about ending violence against women and getting women to vote. And one of her campaigns was the breast cancer campaign. And I mean, you were on fucking Lifetime television Well, I at was, a time yeah. when it was anathema to be out as a cancer patient. Well, I was played my one, I think on my gravestone, it should say played by a tall blonde, short brunette. (laughs) I think I channel tall blonde. I think I channel blonde. I do. And one of my old bosses used to say, you could never get away with like 90% of what you do if you were blonde. But I channel tall blonde, Sarah Chalk. I was so lucky of Scrubs and Firefly Lane played me. And you know what? It was just a mo- It didn't matter that she was blonde, hair falls out. She did such a beautiful job. She read the book. And I got an email from a survivor, an attorney who worked on the movie, who said, you gave us our dignity back. And I was like... Oh my God, that's the most beautiful thing. And then I was on Lifetime on your coattails. Oh my Remember God. That? I was like, my coattails, are you kidding? They were lucky to have you. Oh, come on. It was amazing. Like we have that was so, so many fucking bonds in common. The so odds special. of me being wait, on say, Lifetime television. Wait, say, say that guest appearance you did. All right, so I sent the producers a note and they were like, we're flying him out. <laughs> He's on the show. This is a longer story, friends of the show. But I guess I'll put a link in the description to the episode. But this is the, the longest story short is that when I launched the stupid cancer show in 2007, the country's the movie, the world's first live talk radio. I don't know. Wasn't a podcast that word didn't exist yet. Exactly. You were so ahead of your time. I was just like yelling to a microphone live every Monday for years. I mean, you were. It it caught the attention of Lifetime Television. And then you knew them and I knew you. I mean, it was crazy. They were so excited to have you. So say what you did. So Margaret Nagel, the award Emmy Award-winning yeah. producer of Warm Springs and many other things on HBO, found out about my show maybe through you somehow. Yeah, I nominated you yeah. to be on the show. And she called me and said, we want you to write a scene 
yeah. for a show we're producing, which I equated to like Alan McBeal in an, in an ad agency, not a law right. firm per se. And I wrote a screenplay. I'm sorry. I wrote a scene for her to put in the show based on a real live Stupid Cancer Happy Hour event that I put together in D.C. in like May of 07. Dude, write what you know. And I wrote the scene for them based on true life. And she sent me the script back and said, uh, we're going to add a character named Matthew. Yeah, she said, I didn't change a word, but we're adding a character named Matthew, and you have to get on a plane. And I said, who's going to play Matthew? And she's like, you yeah. are, fucker. Yeah, <laughs> they they contacted me like you were kryptonite. Like, what did you send us? Yeah. Yeah. You were part of that. You oh, my God, I nominated you. It's yeah. amazing. Yo, I got to be I mean, myself on television in a scene that I wrote, and I couldn't understand the lines that I wrote. It was amazing. But here's the thing, the more authentic we can be, and it's funny because at the the first screenshot of the Why I Wore Lipstick to My Mastectomy movie on Lifetime Television, they say this is based on a true story, dot, 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 mm-hmm. really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, really. Because it's so cuckoo bananas that they had to tell the audience, like, it's real. And it's very inspiring, I think, You've always led with truth. You've always been truthful. And you've always had this irreverent kind of, this is terrible, but it's kind of crazily not funny. It's absurd what happens to us. It's totally theoretically absurd. Yeah, it's absurd. And that's when I felt like that absurd moment when she was telling me about my nipple and giving me a Monet reference. Like Back to the nipple, for God's sake, I know, I'm let sorry. it go. I can't, I can't. <laughs> but and I still call my mom the nipple nag. And she is the quintessential nipple nag. Like, honey, you're going to feel great when you get the nipple. And she just wanted to wrap it in a bow. And sometimes it can't be wrapped in a bow. And that's what mom and dads do. All right. right? Let's take a second break, which I rarely do, but this is (laughs) a special episode. You're refilling. I'm refilling. I'm refilling. A second break. Please stick with us, friends. The show gets even better. A (laughs) a third segment with Gerald and Lucas. We'll be right back. With these messages from uh, the nipple nag. The nipple nag. We should call the nipple nag and com, ask her what dot she net, has to say. Dot edu, dot we, org. we should call my mom and she will give some pithy advice okay. to cancer. We'll be right back listening. with Geraldine Lucas. Thank you. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. 
conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, so we're going to spend the next 10 minutes wrapping up the show talking about what we think are better problems to have today. And this, this is, is going to make me cry and my mascara run because do you still worry about recurrent like do you worry about getting cancer again? I don't worry about anything unless it's a problem. And this is just my oh, man, own dogmatic. I have to take clonopin. I worry all the time. Well, th- maybe this is a gender thing. It's not a gender thing, but genetics. Right. But my, my, I'm I'm a fan. But you're Jewish, don't you worry? I'm like we worry. I. For me, it's not a problem until it's a problem. Oh, I'm. Wait, is that your trademark saying? Or That's did my trademark. I'm going to own that? that today on the Can show. Can we needle point that and write it down? It's not a problem till it's a problem. Versus, yeah. if there's no problem, there's a problem. Mm. Wow. Those are the two maybe Jewish neurotic schools of thought. If there's no problem, something's wrong. Or it's not a problem. Will you write that down right now? I I'm going to write that down. I will macrame that on your wall. It might be my next tat on my ass. <laughs> <laughs> no. Well done. Well done. No, I'm serious because my therapist has tried to get me to have a worry-free day. And if I have a worry-free day, it scares me because there's yeah. nothing to worry about. Exactly right. what you're saying. But I like what you said before on the show about how, let's say, like FedEx loses your package and you get angry. That's a better problem to have because you're just back in the real world of standard fuckery. Standard fuckery. So I walked in tonight and I was very honest and I was like, I'm a little stressed. My son's applying to college and he has to take his SAT. You know, then I was embarrassed because... It's an embarrassment of riches. I have a son. I never thought I could have kids. And actually, when I was pregnant with Hayden, they told me I had a tumor on my lung. I should probably abort. I was going to die. My tumor levels were through the roof. Then they realized tumor levels mimic um, placental growth. So I was in menopause for my chemo. Like this whole idea that I could have not one, but two children. Right. They weren't doing oncofertility then. So, and the another t- note of progress. Correct, because right to family planning through y- cancer. Yes. And the doctor who told me I'd die if I wanted to have children actually died. And it's a tragic thing. And I just have to say that not only do people not want to answer my question if I would live, but I was yearning to. If I couldn't live, I wanted to have. So my daughter just started graduate school and my son is applying to college and I'm so stressed out about him applying to college and the SAT and he has dyslexia and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, this is a really effing good problem to have. You have fucking children. Yeah, it's a good problem to have. Yes. Like this is a nice problem to have. So... The things we should worry about and not worry about, like, I worry about my ass getting big. And then I'm like, 
wait, I'm alive. You know what I mean? Right. Like it's it's such a contradiction. It's like the little things that I worry about and then I get mad at myself. And I I think when the did we talk about Botox when we were on or off air? Yeah, like you the wrinkles are a privilege, but you want to get rid of them. <laughs> yeah. I so all I wanted was to grow old and get wrinkles. And now I have a Botox appointment next week. It's a and good problem to have. It's a good problem to have, but I feel guilty about these good problems. And that's a privilege. It's a privilege. And I just need to say that I miss all the people who didn't get to have these problems. I think about them. That's the terrible privilege. Do you think about, you know who I think about? Annie. Yeah, let's pay a quick tribute to Annie Goodman, my former host of the Stupid Cancer Show, an extraordinary young woman who worked for... NBC, Fox News, MSNBC, a brilliant journalist. How old was she? She was in her 30s, I believe. She yeah. triple negative breast cancer. Yeah. And she passed away many, many years ago. And and uh, she helped me become who I am today. I think about her a lot. And what's really interesting when you said triple negative, I so when I was diagnosed, they didn't have that term. Right. But everyone's like, it's so aggressive. It's so awful. It's so... Yeah. So I had triple negative and I think about Annie and I think about my cousin Hallie and I think about a lot of people who were so young. I think about this girl, Becky, I met and I think about what would have happened if they got to live. And then I get angry and I think, you know what, as much progress as we've made, we're not there. No, it, there's always the next hill to climb. And I don't want anyone to think I'm Pollyanna, like I wore lipstick to my mastectomy. It's not the point. No, it, it is the point because you were so countercultural at the time. Mm. And let's not forget that this was a time when cancer was pink ribbons and yeah. you'll be fine and yeah. fucking Hallmark cards and, and all this you. bullshit. I don't want to be part of – well – I do credit the pink ribbon because I remember I saw one and did a breast exam. Mm. And that's when I found the lamp. No, no, no. It was all yeah. like, la, 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 la. I don't, <laughs> yeah, pretty. And so if anyone doesn't know, I never wore red lipstick. I was a gloss girl. And I dared myself the morning of my mastectomy to become the woman I never thought I could be. And I also thought the lipstick was glamorous and far away from the scalpel and would announce to the room that I would wear it on my own terms next time. Well, the book, Why I Wore Lipstick to My Mastectomy, is still on sale. It's still available. Allegedly. We have to go into a reprint. Isn't that funny? Well, I hope listeners will get a chance to understand the history of young adult cancer and how it evolved from the very saplings of things like your book 20 plus years ago. It's such an honor to be here. So could I do one more plug? Do we have time? One more plug for sure. Okay, so my second book is called Then Came Life. And it's about the kind of fuckery, as you say, of getting to live and what happens with the gift and the curse of getting to live. Gerald Lucas, I adore you. I, I love, love you. you more. It's 
been. And we're like, yeah. we're so drunk. I mean, I just, <laughs> wait, I just made a sound because I hit the metal <laughs> bar. Say it again, say it again, say it. No, we're so drunk. And here's the thing. When I was first diagnosed, I met with this guru. My parents paid like $4,000. Guru, 4, I'm quoting air quotes on the radio. Yeah, who paid like $4,000 and he was supposed to like figure out how to cure me. And he was like, alcohol, sugar, and wait, there was one more ingredient. Alcohol, sugar, and, and something and else. joy. <laughs> Oh, coffee makes the cancer grow. And I said, oh, no, that's my diet. (laughs) And then I got a letter three months later that he died. And I never gave up coffee, alcohol, or sugar. Yeah. Yep. There you go. All right, folks. (laughs) Take it or leave it. Today's episode, <laughs> the drunk advocacy episode of Out of Patience. Wait, one more thing about Matthew. Okay. One more thing. All right, please flatter me. I just want to say that I went to your Vegas conference. I'm too young for this. Right. And what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, except that it was the most powerful experience being with a group that had experienced what I had. And I think what you've done is built community and for me, there was shame in being sick so young. Like there, I felt I somehow caused this or did something wrong or was very embarrassed at my fate and you took away that shame. So I just want to do a toast to you for making me feel seen and not ashamed and part of something bigger than myself after feeling so alone. So Let's thank you, Let's clink our glasses on the air. You heard it here, folks. Cheers. Thank you very much. Gerald, I love you. I adore you. you You're an extraordinary human. And uh, back at you. All right, folks. Drunk advocacy. Hot out of patience. So drunk. And just get (laughs) drunk and then get angry and inspired and happy. And don't hate. Love the game. Take care, folks. We'll see you next time on Out of Patience with me, Matthew Zachary. All right. Bye. Out of Patience with Matthew Zachary is an Offscript Health production. The executive producers are Matthew Zachary and Andrew McDowell. It's mixed and edited by Kyle Moore. If you like the show, ratings and reviews are always welcome. Leave us a message anytime at 855-AUDIO-66. That's 855-AUDIO-66 to share your healthcare shitness with us. And we might just play them on the air on a future episode. For more information about this show and Offscript Health, visit offscript.com. That's offscript, no T, dot com.